SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the CUSA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Excited to talk with you all about what was another weird and and interesting week in CUSA amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Some teams lost that we thought were going to lose, and then there were a couple just strange (laughs) upsets in there as well, along with uh, some interesting news coming out of just the world of G5 football in general. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again. Uh, Eric, I know it's been a hectic Monday morning for you already as we're, uh, yeah, Monday morning already as we record this, Um, but uh, and now I'm realizing it's Tuesday, so that just shows you how the start to my week has been. <laughs> but uh, how about you, buddy? Listen, Joe, no one would have ever known that it was Tuesday. I was going to let you slide right there, but then you decided to uh, break, <laughs> break the, what's that saying? You know, break the fourth wall, I believe, in in um, in acting yeah. and, and, and bring the people inside. So, uh, yeah, it, it has been a busy Tuesday morning here, but I'm settled in with my gallon of coffee, uh, my coffee of choice, a, a little plug here. Hopefully this doesn't... Uh, uh, conflict with any coffee uh, sponsorships you may have. Uh, Cafe Bustelo or Pylon. If you can find yourself some good Cuban coffee, the rest of this fine nation, enjoy it. It gets you up and going in a hurry in the morning. Fantastic. I know I'm a coffee drinker myself. We we got a good selection out in the Pacific Northwest, but the uh, the Cuban stuff's a little hard to find. So I'll keep that in mind when I uh, go back home to Florida for a little bit. Um, fantastic. Then let's jump into some results from last week. And uh, unfortunately, we, we got to start with the disappointment that Western Kentucky was against Liberty last week. Um, final score on that one. Flames 30, WKU 24. So here's the thing I'll say about Liberty. Uh, this Malik Willis kid, the transfer from Auburn, is a baller. He ran for 168 yards and three touchdowns on this day. And for the second week in a row, really, it was just a lack of offensive execution that did the tops in. Three of 10 on third down, less than 100 yards rushing. Like, we know they can do better than that based on what Tyson Helton and Gage Walker and that crew were able to do last year. Given, yes, it's they have some new faces on the offensive line and they need some time to gel, but I really thought they were going to kick it into gear faster than this. But, you know, all credit to Hugh Freeze and, and some of the talent that he has on that offense because, man, they, they had some some sports center worthy plays. That's what the Flames did. Yeah, I'm going to start with Liberty. And I watched this game in its entirety because it was the noon kickoff here on the Easter time zone. I will just say this, Joe, and I know you being our resident Western Kentucky guy, you probably know this as well. It just looked in the early going like Liberty was flying around and they were and I, I hate to sound cliche and, you know, use the whole they're more prepared or whatever it may be. But they just looked more energetic than Western Kentucky in the early going. I mean, they seem to just be flying around and making plays, especially Malik Willis, who threw with his legs. I mean, through the air, he went 13 to 21 for 133. And while those numbers seem as if they're not wowing or eye popping, he made a couple great throws. They have two bigger receivers. I think both of them are 6'3 and 6'4. And he made a couple back shoulder throws to pick up third down conversions that were key. But you talk about it, Joe. His just dynamic ability on the legs, with his legs, you absolutely see the ability as to why he was a former Auburn Tiger. The 21 carries for a buck 68 and three touchdowns uh, on the ground. Also, Joshua Mack ran for 100 yards as well. So just a well-rounded rushing game there. Want to talk about the tops here for a second. I definitely want to get your opinion on this, Joe. We've talked about Tyrell Pigram a little bit, and and I hate to use 
you know, someone's name as a verb, you know, like kind of like that you got mossed, so to speak. But uh, I almost feel like Tyrell Pigram could be this year's version of Isaiah Green in the sense that we're always kind of wondering what can he be? If you look at the numbers, 18 of 25 for a buck 93, three touchdowns, no interceptions. If you did not watch a snap of that game, you would say that Tyrell Pigram played more or less a pretty good game. But if you watched it, you would see that there were definitely some of the throws that just were behind receivers or a little bit too far in front of receivers. Um, I, th- I can't remember if it was in the second or third quarter. There was a wide open pass he had to a receiver that he didn't set his feet and deliver the ball. That would have been a touchdown. He just, it's, and this is where I really want your opinion, Joe. Do you get this sense that you can see the flashes with Pigrom? You see why he's the starter. You see the dynamic ability. Even though I didn't realize he, he looks very tiny on TV. Um, I, I think he's listed at 5'10", 5'11", a buck 80. But you see the electric athleticism and the playmaking ability. But he's just not consistent yet. I don't know if you happen to see that from your viewing of the game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, really. I mean, based on what we saw from Tyrell Pigram, like you hit the nail on the head. He's just not consistent. But the athletic ability is clearly there. Um, so it, it's definitely strange to see it just not really coming together so far through two weeks granted there's definitely more time and you know I, i'm you, you can't even really make the excuse of like it's a shortened off season so he's you know still trying to figure it out every single team in college football is kind of dealing with it dealing with the same obstacle in that regard so you really got to hope that he takes advantage of this opportunity after what, you know, he went through at Maryland and uh, now that he's the QB one at, at Western, he, you know, like you said, just really needs to start taking advantage of the opportunities and hit those throws when he needs to. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'll, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say like, like you mentioned, it's not a terrible day, but there's just a little couple things here and there that just aren't what you need to win games at the D one level G five or P five. So we'll see how Tyson Helton's guy, evolves from uh, from this loss the offensive as far as kind of that you know getting that going and clicking together now they've got another struggle because uh jacor pearson has uh, i don't know if you if you caught the show i should have prepped this with you ahead of time but mr jacor pearson who was one of the starting receivers for western kentucky he has decided to opt out and will enter the transport portal so that's just going to put more pressure on guys like joshua simon and xavier lane and others to step up and and this could be even more of a rushing uh, a run-based offense with him choosing to uh, depart the Hilltoppers. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. And given the fact that they lost uh, Jacquez Sloan earlier in the offseason too, uh, that passing attack is significantly different than what it's been the last couple of years. And they're going to need to adjust quickly if they want to, you know, finish with a result that's similar to what they were able to do last season. Absolutely. Um with that, then let's take a short road trip to uh, West Virginia, where uh, Marshall was hosting Appalachian State and pulled off the huge upset win, seventeen to seven, against the number twenty-three team in the country. Uh, they hold App State scoreless in the second half. Actually, Marshall's defense was able to force a key turnover in the fourth quarter. There, just a monumental win for Doc Holliday's program, and uh, you know Grant Wells. Not an amazing day, but he got it done when he needed to. First thing first, I've heard, and I'm sorry to, you know, just call out one specific fan base. I've heard Florida Atlantic fans talking about, well, if Appalachian State, excuse me, well, if this had been a regular season, Appalachian State wouldn't have been ranked. Okay, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda, all right? Don't try to discredit Marshall's win over a top 25 team and put an asterisk or say that, you know, 
it's it's a top 25 win, but they wouldn't have been. Marshall beat a top 25 team in Appalachian State, and that's a very good G5 program over there. So I want to go ahead and give Marshall credit, and you got to start with Brendan Knox. It does look like this is going to be their formula for success throughout the year. Brendan Knox, 28 carries for a buck 38, one touchdown. Nothing spectacular. His longest run was 20 yards, uh, average five a pop. But that's just his game. You know, he's not going to be the most flashier electric guy who's going to break the 60 or 70 yarder. But, you know, you're going to look up at the end of the day and he's going to have 25 or 30 carries and at least uh, 120, 130, 150 yards. So that uh, uh, kind of is the basis for the Marshall offense. Talk about Grant Wells again, the 11 of 25, 163, the no touchdowns, one interception. Definitely not great numbers. And, you know, the thing that we have made emphasis on throughout this entire offseason is that games like this. what's key is that you don't have the game that you may have seen in in past Marshall years where the quarterback goes 11 of 25 for 163, three interceptions and they lose a fumble because those, you know, that would have been an opportunity for uh, 14 or 21 points off of turnovers right there that could swing the balance this game in, in Appalachian state's favor. So all in all, just in my opinion, a really good win for Marshall. Really impressed with the defense, Devontae Beckett. No surprise there. Pound for pound, he's probably one of the best players in college football. One of the better linebackers, despite the fact that he's probably about 205 pounds and not even six foot. 16 tackles for him there. Uh, Naze Johnson doing a great job. St- Stephen Gilmore in, in the in secondary as well. So uh, overall, great win for Marshall. And, and just, I think from here, this could be really a, a jumping off point to see if Marshall, it's early, it's only two weeks, but... Uh, if they can run the table, do they have that outside chance of kind of being the group of five representatives? We'll see. They're doing all the right things to start this season, so it's going to be an interesting uh, progression for them as the year goes on. Uh, speaking of teams that uh, are just doing all the right things in this early part of the season, UTSA getting a win against Stephen F. Austin, 24-10. to 10. Not a huge surprise, but I, I'll tell you what has been a very pleasant surprise for me has just been the level that Frank Harris has been playing at. Uh, we knew he had dual threat capabilities, but he's been legit through these first couple of weeks, uh, threw a touchdown and ran for two against the Lumberjacks. Um, I will say not great that UTSA turned the ball over twice in this game. But like I said, if you're a Roadrunner fan, you have to feel good about starting the season 2-0 here. I hate to just sound like I'm repeating what I said from the previous podcast, but I really firmly believe that for, you know, Coach Trailer down there at UTSA, if they can build a foundation specifically around those San Antonio centric guys, guys who are from the San Antonio area, that's going to be a huge building block in getting this program back to where they were kind of coming off the Larry Coker era. You look at the defense, Rashad Wisdom from Judson High School, a suburb of San Antonio, nine tackles. And he's looking like one of the top young um, defensive players in Conference USA. I just think he's someone you definitely should keep an eye on if you're a fan of Conference USA football. Joshua Cephas, at least they have someone on the outside who can make some plays. No relation to former Rice receiver Aaron Cephas. Frank Harris, 17 carries, 104 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Throws for 269 as well. And then the third part of that equation there for the UTSA offense is Sincere McCormick, who was the freshman of the year last year. He looks like he's well on his way to repeating that performance as a sophomore, 19 carries for 98 yards. You talked about Frank Harris specifically. The thing has always been with him, uh, you know, had Power 5 offers coming out, had offers from UCF and Baylor and other schools. It's always been, can he stay healthy? So it's early. It's only been two games. We want to keep our fingers crossed that he can, not only for his own sake, but as Conference USA football fans, it's nice to have another excellent quarterback kind of, you know, emerge from, I don't want to say from emerge from the ashes. I feel that's a little too, uh, a little too dark, but just uh, another good quarterback emerge. And the talent's always been there with him. 
So yes, it, it's a win over Stephen F. Austin. That might not necessarily be the most impressive, and you still haven't gotten into Conference USA play yet, but it's a building block. And more importantly, the thing I will close on, I said this uh, last podcast, the final three years of the Frank Wilson, I almost said Frank Harris, of the Frank Wilson era at UTSA, they finished 105th or worth or worse, excuse me, in points per game each of those three years. So the fact that they are moving the ball, putting up offense and putting up points, that's a huge building block for bringing fans back to the dome and getting that team heading in the right direction. Yeah, definitely been a fun to watch offensive transformation, the Roadrunners, these last couple of years. So we'll see if they can keep it going as we get closer to conference play here. Uh, moving on to a CUSA Sunbelt battle, uh, another one. Troy beating MTSU 47 to 14. Uh, look, you can't commit three turnovers and get doubled up on yardage and first down and expect everything is going to turn out fine, um, which is what happened to MTSU in this game. Eric, we picked Troy to win, but they just really controlled the game end-to-end here. They, it, it looked like they were playing two different sports for a lot of this game. Sorry, Troy fans. We're not going to talk too much about the, the performance of the team. I'll leave that to our uh, cohorts who do the Sunbelt podcast. They do a great job with that. There's not just much, there just isn't much to say in the fact that Troy dominated this game. We're going to focus on middle here. That offense... And I don't want to say that, you know, people got too caught up in the hype of Asher O'Hara because the the hype was well worth it. He was one of two FBS quarterbacks to throw for over 2,500 yards and rush for 1,000 last year. You don't just fall off the, you know, the truck and do that. You don't just wake up and do that. That takes talent. But here's one of the things that I wrote about in my three things we learned about Conference USA over the weekend. Asher O'Hara's exploits last year really covered up for the fact that Middle Tennessee's rushing game outside of the quarterback has not been effective in really, Joe, we can be kind and say a year and change, but you can probably almost say this leading back into the Brent Stockstill era, where the majority of the rushing attack kind of came from, uh, it was engineered through Stockstill and then came from other backs. And, you know, through no fault of their own, Rick Stockstill brought in two grad transfer running backs and Amir Rasul from Florida State, Martel Petway, the former West Virginia starter, thinking that they would be able to A, bolster their rushing attack and B shoulder the load and take some of that pressure off of Asher O'Hara. Unfortunately, those two guys choose to opt out because of the situation surrounding coronavirus. And I don't want to sit here and act as if the 0-2 start is the sole responsibility of Jay McDonald and Shaitan Mobley. However, granted, they're getting down in games early and that doesn't necessarily lend itself to rushing the football a ton, but Jay McDonald, three carries for 11 yards, Shaitan Mobley, one carry for one yard. If my memory serves me correct, I believe both running backs have a total of 14 carries or something like 48 yards throughout the the first two games. That's just not going to get it done. And that stretches back into last year in which the leading rusher outside of Asher O'Hara had 208 yards for the season. That's got to change. And the reason I'm emphasizing on this, Joe, and you can piggyback off this, if you can't run the football, you're going to end up in a lot of third and longs, and that's just going to not make things easier for your quarterback, but to also you know, look at Asher O'Hara. If you can't throw the football, that's not going to necessarily loosen up things for your rushing game either. So this offense, and and what's so surprising about it, Joe, is they have veteran coaches all the way around. Defensive coordinator, uh, Scott Schaefer. Offensive coordinator, Tony Franklin. Both of those guys are former head coaches at Syracuse and Cal, respectively. And of course, Rick Stockstill, who's the most tenured head coach in Conference USA football and one of the more respected coaches in college football. Just kind of surprising that they're losing, but losing big. 
you know, that uh, that is scary. So um, we'll have to see what happens. I think just my final takeaway for I send it to you, Joe, is I think having a guy like Ty Lee and before that Richie James really at least covered up for the fact that the rushing game wasn't great because at least you have to respect Ty Lee's ability on the outside or Richie James' ability on the outside, and that loosens up the defense. Now without that, you know, um, bona fide number one, even though Jaron Pierce and Jimmy Marshall appear to be guys who are emerging, defenses just aren't respecting Middle Tennessee's ability to do anything, and it's just making life, you know, hell for all of the offensive players uh, for the Blue Raiders. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of critical points in terms of dissecting what's going wrong for MTSU, and I don't have too much else to add except – Uh, If there's one thing that we've learned from this early part of the season at the G5 ranks, if you have a one-dimensional offense, you're going to get into trouble quickly. And right now, MTSU is actually kind of struggling to find that one dimension that they excel at because of all the things that you just said. The running game's not working. Their talented receivers that they had in in Ty Lee and, and some of the other folks that have been through there the last couple of years they're gone. So they need to, you know, figure out what they are good at and start leaning on that quickly and then build it out from there. Cause it's, it's going to be a long season if they can't get that figured out. Um, with that, then let's talk about uh, two other high powered offenses going at it in the state of Texas, Southern Methodist hosting North Texas uh, and the Mustangs winning that one 65 to 35. We knew both teams were going to put up a decent amount of points in this one. We knew Shane Buchel was going to be hard to stop, and uh, he was. 710 total yards for SMU here, more than 1,200 yards combined in the game uh, between both offenses. So with the same of what we were talking about last week, there's definitely talent, especially on that offensive side of the ball. They just need to build some degree of consistency in, in who – you know, the guy is a quarterback and, and figure it out from there. But, you know, we can't ignore the fact that SMU is a very good G5 football team at this point, you know, with the just the amount of pace that they're able to add to that offense right now. Yeah, you know, let's give credit to SMU. I mean, you talked about Shane Bushell and that's a high powered offense. No, you know, qualms about that. I mean, I don't necessarily think that SMU was 30 points better than UNT. But as I always say, it doesn't matter about what you are in totality. They were 30 points better on that day. I feel like I rambled on about Middle Tennessee. So I just kind of want to leave it to you and ask you this question, Joe. Does it worry you post Mason Fine that UNT's defense has given up almost 1,300 yards of total offense? I believe it's 1,287 overall. SMU, phenomenal offensive team. Houston Baptist. And not quite SMU. Given the fact that we're no longer in the Mason Fine era, and it's probably not fair to expect North Texas to outscore teams each week, uh, do you feel, even though it's through two weeks, it's a cause for concern that that defense doesn't seem to have improved at all? Yes, to some extent. I mean, if you're going to face the kind of offenses that North Texas faces on a regular basis, then you have to be able to you know, defend the ball well, especially against the passing attack. And, you know, they showed against uh, one of the better passing offenses in G5 that uh, they're just not quite there. So I would absolutely say it's a cause for concern. They need to uh, figure out who their guys are on that on that side of the ball and lean on them <laughs> sooner rather than later. It's kind of like the uh, reverse of what MTSU is dealing with on offense, you could say almost. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they they make the change from defensive coordinator Troy Refford to now bringing back Clint Bowen, who was with North Texas uh, in a uh, previous stint, I believe about eight or nine years ago, came over from Kansas. He's heading up the defense. But, yeah, you just kind of want to see improvement there. I guess maybe the overall ar- the overarching takeaway, if you're UNT outside of the defense, is the quarterback play. And, and with that being said, you know, Jason Bean went four and nine for 29 yards with a touchdown. Austin Ani, the former New York Yankees third baseman, uh, the 26-year-old quarterback was 13 to 25 for 276, two touchdowns, one interception. But you're going to put up some yards. It's kind of like the old adage in basketball, you know, someone's got to score 20 points on a team. Doesn't necessarily make you great. In this case, if you're, you know, trailing and your defense is giving up, I believe SMU scored on 11 of 18 drives, including seven touchdowns. If memory serves me correct, you're going to be throwing the ball. So take those stats with a grain of salt. So the quarterback situation is still working itself out. But for me, the biggest thing is defense. You know, UNT, if they're going to have any hope of competing this year uh, in Conference USA West, they're going to have to get the defense fixed. Completely agree. Um, Let's stay in CUSA West for this next uh, recap here. Louisiana Tech sneaking by Southern Miss uh, 31 to 30. Tech really surprising some people with this win in their first game of the season. Uh, People probably remember they had a bit of a delayed start due to virus issues there. Um, But really, this game came down to the final seconds where Griffin Hebert just got the toes down for the touchdown that gave Tech the lead with about 14 seconds left. Um, Really, these teams were just neck and neck in pretty much every category right up until the end. I I think for my money, the most entertaining game of the weekend for sure. Um, But I think kind of for me, like... I don't know. I don't think you go into panic mode right away if you're Southern Miss. I think you kind of knew all the issues that they experienced in this game were already there. So I don't think you can put too much of this one on Southern Miss's shoulders. And, you know, Louisiana Tech, for all of the things that they've had to deal with in the buildup to this season, there's still a, a really good amount of talent, particularly on that offense. So I'm not extremely surprised that they were able to pull this off but you know i'll i'll eat the crow for saying that they they wouldn't be ready to go against the golden eagles here before i give my kind of big uh you know the the biggest observation for louisiana tech joe i'm just curious were you the biggest thing that i was looking for from southern miss was to see if they were going to fold after just you know how their season kind of i don't want to say their season fell apart but just how they got to the bad start last week and then you know jay hobson resigned i was looking to see were they going to fold and come or were they going to come out and compete and quite frankly i was impressed with them and the fact that they came out and they had a lead in this game of 17 points joe was that something you were kind of keeping an eye on to kind of see how southern miss would respond given all the turmoil I was. And yeah, definitely from an offensive point of view, I don't think you can be too mad at what they were able to to do in this game. I granted, yeah, they, they made a few mistakes here and there. They wouldn't have lost the game if that weren't the case. But yeah, I was I was impressed with how Jack Abraham was able to play. I think Scotty Walden, uh, you know, did a good job of leading his team and, you know, getting down to the final second. And I mean, if you go back and, and watch that last second, you know, game winning touchdown that Louisiana Tech had. Uh, it was a really close call that they ended up having to overturn in order to uh, give the Bulldogs the win. So, like, you know, they were doing most of the right things all the way up until the end. It was just a hard-fought battle, and, and Tech was able to make one more play at the very end. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, for me, the biggest thing I was looking for was to see, were they going to have the performance that Middle Tennessee had when they they lost to Troy 47-14? to 
or were they going to come out? And in this case, it was a one point loss. And sure, you can be disappointed. Like I said, Southern Miss had a lead in this game. Uh, uh, Louisiana Tech had to rally from 17 points back. But if you're a Southern Miss fan, I think there's reason to be optimistic. Scotty Walden, the team looked good. Jack Abraham looked like the Jack Abraham that we know. 24-32 for 264. Tim Jones showed up and balled out. Eight for, for 160 and two touchdowns. You just, you know, you, you wish you could have had a stop here and there. And, and really for Louisiana Tech to transition to them. What really got that offense going was Luke Anthony. And, and it's not that Aaron Allen played poorly, but Aaron Allen didn't have the drives really when they needed it. He went 11 of 14 for 69 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But in in the second half, the bulk of Louisiana Tech's offense and their scoring drives were engineered by Luke Anthony, the 13 of 21, a buck 49 with three touchdowns, no interceptions. Justin Henderson, 18 for 69. Israel Tucker a guy who we haven't heard from really in the past year and change. Good to see him back with 11 carries for 65 yards. So if they can get a one, one, two punch with Justin Henderson and Israel Tucker, that'll be good. Adrian Hardy seems to be back five, five carries, excuse me, five receptions for 79 yards in a score. So the biggest thing for me when looking at Louisiana tech going forward is what do they do with their quarterback situation? Aaron Allen, again, didn't play poorly. And he is the guy who had the most experience last year. But Luke Anthony, for those of you who may not know, transferred from Abilene Christian, he was a two-year starter at the FCS level and was one of the better quarterbacks at the FCS level, threw for over 2,500 yards both years. So if it's not that Luke Anthony isn't experienced. If you actually look at the starts, he has more experience than Aaron Allen. He's just coming from a lower level. So it'll be interesting to see what Skip Holtz does. And just probably the biggest takeaway outside of that is that for Louisiana Tech, they still have the pieces. You know, the offense is still there. You mentioned Griffin Bear. They have Smoke Harris. They have C.J. Powell. The, the offensive talent is still there. It's just going to be, can they get the quarterback situation straightened? And if they can get that, you know, straightened out sooner than later, I, I think you got to consider Tech right up there with UAB as your favorites in the West. Yeah, I completely agree. I think based on what they've been able to show in this game and in years past, you know, Skip Holtz knows how to build a winning football team. So keep an eye on the Bulldogs down the stretch. Uh, let's wrap up last week's recap with uh, a talk about UTEP's win over Abilene Christian 17 to 13. You know, I know we give UTEP, you know, a lot of a lot of flack uh, for what, you know, the lack of progress, I guess, since Dana Demel's been there. That being said, I think this is about as good of a start as you could realistically hope for for UTEP with the schedule they have and the personnel problems they've run into over the last few months. Uh, they're two and one, uh, granted two wins against FCS teams, uh, but the loss was against a uh, Texas Longhorn team who, you know, were obviously going to win that game. Um, but heading into conference play, you know, I think UTEP's doing some good things, but, you know, just the fact that they were able to get two wins, I think they've kind of already exceeded my expectations personally. This, in my opinion, Joe, is the best case scenario for Dana Dimmel and that program. I believe I tweeted this out from the UDD Twitter account uh, after that UTEP game and said that, yes, the two wins are against Abilene Christian. And of course, the, the opening win is escaping me right now. But uh, they're both were against FCS opponents, but two wins that equals the amount of wins they've had in the past. If my memory serves me correct, three seasons combined. So I know they've won one game the past two years, and I believe they went winless in 2017. So if you got to if you can at least get that 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 winning culture started, that's going to be the thing. The kids have to learn how to win. And these are games that in years past, they somehow would have found a way to lose. So, yes, I understand they both are against FCS teams, but you mentioned it. Uh, it, it. This is 
honestly want to say above my expectations because if you look at their recruiting classes, they've at least recruited better talent than maybe was on that roster. But I just think this is the best case scenario in that no matter if the win came by four points and, and the opening uh, week win was you know a close one as well, they couldn't have lost those games because if they were losing to FCS teams, I just think that would have done uh, it wouldn't have done anything for those players' psyche as far as their own confidence to go out there and win games. Gavin Hardison, 15 to 25 for one for 195. Josh Fields, and, and actually, let's make a point as far as the running game is concerned, because someone who I've highlighted on this podcast was Deion Hankins, the guy from El Paso who actually set the city rushing record as a as a high school player. He was ruled a late scratch. So Josh Fields had to tote the rock 17 times for 75 yards and one touchdown, really carry the rushing game and great to see Jacob Cowing as well go over 100 yards so they've got those three pieces on offense and we'll see what happens as far as Deion Hank Deion Hankins's availability going forward they really do need him if they're going to be able to pick up a conference USA win which they have not done in a very long well actually no I'm sorry the one win in 2018 was against Rice so it, it, they didn't get one last year but they got one in 2018 so if they are going to be able to compete and at least get a conference USA win this year they're going to need Deion Hankins but just my overall you know overarching point is this was the best case scenario for them. No one expected them to be able to compete with Texas. They needed to be able to win these two games, and at least they can look. And Joe, they have a winning record. Is UTEP going to finish with a winning record this year? I don't think any of us are expecting that. However, they have a winning record for the first time. And well, okay, uh, I, I keep getting these caveats right. They won the the, the um, season opener last year, so that gave them a winning record. But this is the latest they've had a winning record uh, in a very long time, and it's only week three. So that's the point I'm trying to make because you got to find the, the positives. You got to take those baby steps if you're Dana Dimmel and the Miners. Absolutely. It's going to be a long road to national relevancy for UTEP, but the fact that they got two wins, a step in the right direction. So shifting gears a little bit here, wanted to talk about a piece of college football news uh, that's come into light recently, and that's the decision by the UMass Minutemen uh, to go back on what they originally said they going to do football schedule this year uh originally i think they were kind of following the suit of the big 10 the pac 12 in hoping that they could play some uh some games in the spring but uh i think <laughs> they're more or less doing the same thing now that uh the big 10 has announced that they're going to try to play a fall schedule beginning in october and uh umass announced on the 21st of september that they are going to try and do the same thing and play a limited number of games beginning in mid-october um just to read a quick snippet from alex scarborough's piece on espn the announcement came after what the school said was a positive review of safety protocols and COVID 19 testing since players returned to campus in june um so there you go i think you know as long as they can keep players safe I don't have a problem with this. I do feel for, you know, UMass's AD and the people within that program that have to deal with scheduling this now because uh, it's absolutely going to be easier said than done. Like you're going to have a few FCS teams who might want to jump in on this, maybe a Mountain West team or something if they can get that figured out. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's good for the uh kids who wanted to play a game and, and get some more tape if they're hoping to go pro because i you know being an independent for one and you know having the you know lack of good fortune let's say on the field the last couple of years i don't think umass was really in the running to get into the top 10 or, or anything anyway but i think this is uh you know i think it's a step in the right direction uh, provided they can do it safely which it sounds like they can 
Yeah, so you're going to take that approach, and I'm going to take a bit of uh, the opposite approach. Not that this is necessarily my feeling, quite frankly. Personally, I kind of align with you. I'm all for the kids having opportunity to play, especially those who this may be their last opportunity. Now, of course, there was the NCAA ruling that said that, hey, you know, if you're due to graduate this year, come on back next year. So <laughs> that even could be tricky in itself. But this is the, the view I'm going to take of it, Joe. I am not of this belief. However, there has been a um, vocal minority of Conference USA fans, maybe fans in general, I'd say G5 fans in general. Again, I want to preface my thoughts with I am not of the opinion of this opinion, but they feel that UAB actually was done a service by shutting down the program for a couple of years, getting a chance to uh, develop funding and, you know, kind of rebrand UAB and give Bill Clark and company a chance to go out and kind of reestablish themselves. Now, I just don't think that's true. Um, I think that the program being shut down caused more hassles than opportunities for UAB. And I am of the belief that I want to give full credit to Bill Clark and that staff for what they've done. But if you do choose to take that approach, you could say, hey, this year could be a mulligan for UMass. I do believe that they're heading in the right direction under Walt Bell. They looked, uh, I had a chance to see UMass, as a matter of fact, the past two years because they've played FIU and were scheduled to play FIU on the 24th of this year. It doesn't look like that game's going to happen because FIU scheduled Jacksonville State on the 23rd. And I don't think Butch Davis is in the, uh, the mood to play two games back to back on consecutive days. But, um, if you choose to take that approach, I could understand it if you want to say, hey, this could be a year where we want to, you know, just get our guys right, focus on keeping them um, healthy away from COVID and, and you know, practicing and, and developing our guys another year of recruiting, et cetera. You could take that approach. And the second thing I, I think you have taken into account here is does UMass take an approach almost like an FCS school? For example, Houston Baptist, who we've talked about a lot, a lot on this uh, podcast, they are playing a non-conference schedule, which is consisting of Texas Tech, Louisiana Tech, and I believe their first game, oh, I, I'm, it's escaping me who their first uh, um, opponent, North Texas, I believe. Um, and I think there's another F, FBS team as well. And, you know, hey, you got to pay the bills, right? <laughs> those, uh, those bills come in the mail, so you got to get them paid. You could take that approach if you're UMass and schedule some money games to maybe kind of um, – uh, you know, offset the 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 funds that you may miss by not playing the season. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on both of those uh, approaches. Yeah, I mean, I'll address the the money game thing first. If you know, I think by coming back and saying that they are available to play fall games, I think that opens them up to, like you said, get some checks from some Big Ten teams that uh, you know are now kind of scrambling to you know, put together uh, some non-con games to kind of get warmed up before conference play. I don't think the PAC 12 is going to be able to uh, do fall football. I think they're going to be, you know, early spring, something like that. But yeah, no, I, I, I do agree that they'll be able to kind of get some, some money out of this uh, for sure. So I think that's, you know, kind of versus one stone kind of thing um, to address the first thing you said about, you know, the positives of this. And I don't think you can really relate it to the UAB situation because it's two completely different things. Um, but I will say that I think kind of the time away from the field has, you know, for one helped people not take, you know, their jobs and, um, the chances that they get to, you know, play this sport and everything like that for granted. 
Um, and the other thing about that is I just don't think that like, you know, it also gives them a chance to kind of look at the program and say, what else do we need to really do to take it to the next level that now that we have not a break, but their focus, you know, doesn't need to go towards preparing for specific opponents and that sort of thing. I think it helps them, you know, kind of re- reassess where the program's at and kind of what the next realistic step is. So if you want to look at a positive of it, I think you can look at that, but I don't think you can really equate it with what, you know, UAB went through because like in the time that UAB didn't have football, the majority of that time was figuring out, okay, how can we just keep a program? How can we get it back and not like, all right, what do we need to do to get forward? I think it seems like Bill Clark kind of figured that stuff out pretty quickly when he got back into the office after the fight was won to get a football team back. But I think it's two completely different situations. Yeah. I'll I'll just quickly agree with you there. And I think that's a great point you make there at the end, as far as, you know, as far as UAB goes, that was a matter of, Hey, uh, this is where we failed the first time. And obviously Bill, uh, Bill Clark is, is not, you know, he'd only been there a, a year if my memory serves me correct. Um, so he wasn't, you know, there the entire time of UAB's football program, but you can say, Hey, this is where we failed and we're now have a second opportunity. This is how we can do things differently. So that, that's a, it's a little bit different from the situation that UMass has been in now, despite the fact that their um, on-field fortunes have been futile over the past few years, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's an accurate statement. So uh, if you're a Minuteman fan that listens to the podcast, first of all, welcome. Uh, second of all, it looks like you're going to get to see your team play some games this fall. Second of all, let's uh, let's talk about some interesting effects of the uh, you know COVID-19 pandemic and just how weird this football season has actually gotten. Uh, USF uh, out of the American has uh, announced that their videographer, a 235-pound freshman by the name of Bryce Bernard, is going to suit up uh, for their next game, it sounds like, as the Bulls' new long snapper. Uh, had some folks go down at that position, uh, found this kid who had the experience, hadn't played football in a while, but <laughs> you know they're uh, giving him the water boy treatment, it looks like. Joe, I love stories like this. And I think it's so unique and specific to college football because it's not like, you know, you're uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a returner when we were kids. Uh, we might have been like in elementary school. There was a returner for the Saints a guy named Michael Lewis. And I, and I remember his story vividly because he was driving a beer truck and just happened to like um, stumble upon a regional tryout. And he was a guy who played in college five years before, uh, ran track, was super fast, uh, tried out at the at the NFL regional combine and ended up getting signed by the Saints and had like a five-year career. That's the rarity in the NFL. In college, at least if you go to a decent-sized college, which both Joe and I did, there's always four or 500 kids, whether it's intramural football or whatever it may be, who had high school experience. And in like, in that, that scenario where it's like, in case of emergency, break glass, those guys could suit up, right? And this is what I think you have here in the videographer. You have a kid who clearly wants to stay around the game of football and chooses that that role with the uh, athletic department and is like, hey, guys, you know, I'm not 235 for nothing. I, I, I did a little something. And he's going to get a chance to suit up and, and long snap. And I think that's great because I, I know, first off, long snapping truly is a skill it is not something you take for granted i know so many kids joe i don't know if this was a thing for you who out of high school were like i'm big and i kind of want to play football but i played like 
middle school and I'm getting back to it. I'm going to college. I'm just going to long snap. I'm going to try out as a walk on and be the long snapper on the team. And I'm like, dude, uh, long snapping is kind of difficult. <laughs> you know, that's why there are only so many of those jobs professionally. So good to him. Good for him. Get a chance to uh, live out his dream and uh, suit up in the, in the green and gold. I, I, as a UCF Knight, I don't have, you know, a ton of uh, positive comments, but I will put my uh, alumni, my um, UCF association aside and uh, say, Hey, kudos to him for getting a chance to put on the green and gold of USF. All I'm saying is this has Adam Sandler movie written all over it. So we'll see. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's a good place to end it. All right, then let's talk some week four games coming up here. We have a few early week games uh, when you look at it. So on Thursday night at 730 Eastern on ESPN, the national spotlight, South Alabama hosting UAB. Uh Jaguars favored by seven and a half to start this game. Uh, I'm going to take, or rather the Blazers favored by seven and a half to uh, start this game. I'm going to take the Blazers. I think, you know, based on what we were able to see out of them, the first two weeks, I think uh, Spencer Brown, you know, continuing his old ways, uh, South Alabama, definitely uh, a tough team to contend with, but ultimately I think if uh, Tyler Johnston can kind of, uh, well, not Tyler Johnston, if that UAB offense can, you know, get it figured out and be able to do what they were able to do in this first week of the season, then I think they're going to have, uh, you know, very limited problems against South Alabama here. Yeah, I'm going to sit there and, and and the biggest thing that I will be sitting down and trying to watch this game is to see how the young quarterback making his first start for UAB, how will that fare? But overall, keep an eye on Desmond Trotter. He obviously played well in upsetting Southern Miss, but Southern Miss's defense is not UAB's defense. I'm expecting UAB to win. Absolutely. So hopefully that will be hopefully for UAB fans. Anyway, that'll be another step towards uh, a CUSA West title and getting back to the championship game. And then on Friday, another or I think this is our first uh, conference battle of the season with uh, UTSA hosting MTSU in the Alamo Dome, eight o'clock Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Uh, I'm going to pick the roadrunners here i love what we've seen out of frank harris and sincere mccormick so far um i think with mtsu we you know forced to death in terms of talking about the offensive issues they've had earlier in the show um you know i don't think it's all going to come together in one week based on you know just the extent of the problems that we saw in their first two losses here um but you know i, I think it's just a, a combination of mtsu looks really bad and utsa looks really good so give me the roadrunners at home I will be paying close attention to this game because you really want to see can UTSA, if they can start three and zero and get a conference win, you got to look at them as really your your surprise of this early conference USA season. Definitely want to see what they can do with a national spotlight CBS Sports Network for Middle Tennessee State. This offense has got to get something going, and I, I will be curious to see. I don't think, Joe, that you can bench Asher O'Hara three straight games in a row and really expect to kind of move forward in that direction. I, I get that uh, Rick Stockhill wants to, you know, see which quarterback can move his team. But and I understand if you want to take him out week one because that game was getting out of hand. But they also went to Chase Cunningham and also the third quarterback as well last week. So I just think you can't you want to see the Middle Tennessee Middle, Middle Tennessee State offense get going, specifically the rushing game. But if it doesn't, I, I don't think you can, you know, turn to Chase Cunningham or the first round quarterback again without making a move uh, for the extended future. If you do that after, uh, after this game. 
couldn't agree more. So let's move into the Saturday games. Then we have Charlotte hosting Georgia state at noon Eastern on ESPNU 49ers favored by one here. Uh, so I guess I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, you have a Georgia state team that started the year on one, but gave a, an impressive rage and Cajuns team a run for their money in their first game of the season. And then of course you have Charlotte who, uh, didn't play horribly against app state in their season opener, but just, you know, had some concerning issues, but they do play pretty well at home. And, uh, you know, we know will Healy team doesn't typically stay down for long. Uh, so I'm going to cautiously pick the 49ers. I think, you know, given the amount of time that's passed since, uh, Charlotte played their, their season opener, uh, of course they got, you know, the, I guess the benefit of an extra week of rest after their game against, uh, UNC was canceled due to, uh, positive Corona tests. I think they're going to be able to come out swinging in this one. We'll come away with a win. Biggest thing I will be looking at is see how Mr. Dom Schaffner comes out in his first collegiate start, his first collegiate start at the FBS level, the former North Carolina central quarterback. He'll be taking over. And I think that's the reason why the line on this game is so tight with Chris Reynolds being out. Want to see if he can kind of strike up that rapport with Victor Tucker that uh, we know that Chris Reynolds has all in all, I'm picking Charlotte to win. In agreement there. Uh, this next one, uh, Liberty hosting FIU at one Eastern on ESPN three. Look, based on what I saw out of Malik Willis and that Liberty offense last week, I'm picking them. I, this is FIU season opener. Uh, haven't been in a real uh, game situation yet. Uh, no disrespect to, uh, you know, of course, Butch Davis's team, but I'm picking the flames in this one. Yeah, that is the game that I will be at heading out to Lynchburg on Friday. Uh, I'll be interested to see how FIU looks. They, this this team has more uh, unknowns than really answers as far as are really known commodities, I should say, as far as having to replace James Morgan, ton of running backs, receivers, a lot of defensive stalwarts. Want to see how the quarterback situation plays out. Want to see how the new running backs uh, fill in and Devontae Price being the starter. And can the run defense step up and perform? But Joe, you hit the nail on the head. Malik Willis, uh, a dynamic athlete back there and FIU. FIU has given up over 150 yards in the past 16, excuse me, not the past 16. They've given up 100, over 150 yards 16 times in the past two seasons. That's the way I should phrase that. Because of that and their inability to stop the run until they show it, I'm going to have to choose Liberty. Solid points. And then we have Southern Miss hosting Tulane at 2.30 Eastern. Uh, the Green Wave favored by three points early in the week here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pick Southern Miss for the upset win. I think they've just come too close the last two weeks to really be counted out just yet. Jack Abraham's playing pretty well, and so is Tulane, really. I think we're going to get an entertaining game in Hattiesburg, but Southern Miss are going to come away with the win. Yeah, this is going to be Keon Howard's return to Southern Miss, the former Southern Miss starting quarterback before Jack Abraham. Interesting to see how he plays, but all in all, I do think that Southern Miss will get the upset here. While Tulane probably is a better team, I think Southern Miss is going to play free. They have nothing to lose, and that'll give Scotty Walden his first win at the FBS level. And then at uh, 3.30 Eastern on ESPNU, the Warhawks of UL Monroe hosting UTEP. Uh, Warhawks favored by nine and a half. Uh, ULM, no wins yet this year. They're 0-2. UTEP, of course, 2-1, like we just got done talking about. Um, you know, I think this is going to be an interesting game for UTEP. Can they get a win against an FBS team? I'm going to say no, at least in this one. Uh, UL Monroe did some good things and their two losses to start the year. I think they're going to get their first win here and, and win by a couple of scores. 
when you look at UTEP's schedule, you think this probably has to be their best opportunity to get a, a win against an FBS opponent. The, they're getting to the Conference USA schedule, and, and as far as their Conference USA schedule is concerned, uh, it's going to be tough sledding. So if they're going to get a win, it's going to be this one. I'm picking ULM, but I don't think it'll be by the nine points. I think it'll be close to a two- or three-point ball game, but I just don't think that Dana Dimmel's team has enough to get that win just yet. At uh, 6 Eastern on CBS Sports Network, we have FAU hosting South Florida. First game of the season for FAU after some uh, coronavirus issues there. But look, I think there's a lot of talent on this FAU team. South Florida didn't really impress me in their first couple of weeks there. Um, Got destroyed by Notre Dame. Um, So I think that uh, Florida Atlantic are going to be able to start their season with a win here. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a good start to, uh, you know, what, what could be an interesting stint for Willie Taggart at FAU here. Really quick, Joe, a lot of interesting uh, plot lines and subplots here. Uh, Willie Taggart making his FAU debut against a USF, a team he used to coach. Defensive coordinator for FAU, Jim Levitt, used to be the head coach at USF. Of course, if you look at the USF side, they have Charlie Weiss Jr. and former FAU interim head coach Glenn Spencer, who coached the bowl game. So a lot of plot lines there. These two teams and will, will know each other well because of the coaching staffs. But I think that FAU has enough talent to get the win right now. USF's definitely, definitely still in rebuilding mode. Fantastic. And then Houston hosting uh, North Texas at 7 Eastern on ESPN. I mean, look, Dana Holgood, they're favored by 21 and a half to start the year. North Texas, they continue to have, you know, just some consistency issues in the offense. And uh, we beat to death the uh, concerns we have about that defense. Give me Houston in this one by a country mile, I think. No issues with that show, with that selection. I am taking Houston until that defense can get going. I don't think this is going to be the solution for them going against a high-powered Houston offense. And uh, to round out the slate, we have Louisiana Tech hosting Houston Baptist at 7 Eastern on ESPN3 in Ruston. Uh, look, Houston Baptist is not a very good football team. From uh, what we saw out of Louisiana Tech last week, I, I really like the direction that this program is headed in, even with all of the uh, departing talent, as well as kind of the uh, corona issues that they started the season with. Um, but give me the Bulldogs by a country mile on this one as well. Bailey Zappi, Houston Baptist quarterback, he is legit uh, NFL prospect, and that is the best thing they have going for them. If they have any shot, it's going to be on his right arm, but I don't think that they're going to be able to compete. They may get their yards, and he may get his stats, but Louisiana, Louisiana Tech is overall better team. They'll get the win. All right. Well, that's going to make it. Uh, that's going to make it a wrap for us in this episode of the Underdog Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, we'll be back with you next week to talk more CUSA football and more G five storylines amidst the just overall weirdness that twenty twenty has consisted of thus far. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you can. Check us out on Spotify too. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, at Underdog Dynasty as well. Uh, Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you very soon.